Chapter 33 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 33 Kit. In the meanwhile, Mrs. Luke Sharp was growing very anxious about her son and only child and idol, Christopher. Not that there was anything at all amiss with his bodily health, so far at least as she could see, but that he seemed so unsettled in his mind so absent and preoccupied, and careless even of his outdoor sports, which at one time were his only care. Of course, at this time of year there was very little employment for the gun, but there was plenty of fishing to be got, such as it was round Oxford, and it must be a very bad time of year when there are no rats for little terriers and badgers for the larger tribe. Yet none of these things now possess the proper charm for Christopher. Wherever he was, he always seemed to be wanting to be somewhere else. And, like a hydrophobic dog, he hated to be looked at, while, after the manner of a cat assisted lately by Lucina, he ran up into his own loft when he thought there was nobody watching. Well arranged as all this might be, and keen and self-satisfactory, there was something keener and not very easy to satisfy looking after it. The love of a mother may fairly be trusted to outwit any such calf love as was making a fool of this unfledged fellow, fresh from the feather bed of a private school. Considering whence he came and how he had been brought up and pampered, Kit Sharp was a very fine young fellow, and, thanks to his liking for gun and rod, he could scarcely be called a milksop. Still, he was only a boy in mind, and in manner quite unformed and shy. His father, for reasons of his own, having always refused to enter him at any of the colleges, he might perhaps have shaped his raw material by the noblest models if he had been admitted into the society of undergraduates, but the members of the university entertained in those days, and probably still entertain, a just and inevitable contempt for all the non-Togati. Kit Sharp had made some fluttering overtures of the flag of friendship towards one or two random undergraduates who had a nice taste for ratting, even dined and whined once or twice in a not ignoble college, and had been acknowledged to know a meerschaum as well as if he owned a statute book. But the boy always fancied, perhaps through foolish and shy pride on his part, that these most hospitable and kind young men had their jokes to themselves about him. Perhaps it was so, but in pure goodwill. Take him for all in all and allow for the needs of this situation, which towards the third year grow imperative, and the Oxford undergraduate is as good as any other young gentleman. A Kit Sharp, being exceedingly proud and most secretive of his pride, would not long receive without return good hospitality and this alone, without other suspicions, would have set bounds to his dealing with a race profusely hospitable. His dear and good mother would gladly have invited a cross-duck houseful of undergraduates, and left them to get on as they might, if only thereby her pet son might have sense of salt for salt with them. But Mr. Luke Sharp took a different view. To his mind, the junior members of the glorious university were a most disagreeable and unprofitable lot to deal with. He never, of course, condescended to the vice-chancellor's court, and he despised all little actions in that large world's legal sense. He liked a fine old don or head of a house who had saved a sack of money, or well earned it by vitality. But for any such young fellows with no expectations, 
or Paulo Post Futura such, Mr. Sharp was now too long established to put a leaf into his dinner table, this being so, and Christopher also of restricted pocket money, so that no dinners at the Star or Mitre could be contemplated, Master Kit Sharp, in a town and gown row, must have lent the weight of his quiet but very considerable fist to the opinion faction. Kit, now, my darling Kit, do tell me, said Mrs. Sharp for about the fiftieth time as she sat her son in the sweet spring twilight at the large western window of Cross Duck House. What is it that makes you sigh so? You almost break your poor mother's heart. I never did know you to sigh, my own one. Now, is it for want of a rat, my darling? If rats are a sovereign apiece, you shall have one. Rats, mother? Why, I can catch my own without any appeal to the filthy. Rats are never far away from legal promises like these. You should not speak so of your father's house, Kit. And I am sure that no rats ever come upstairs or out of the window I must jump. But now you are only avoiding the subject. What is it that disturbs your mind, Kit? Once more, mother, I have the greatest objection to being called Kit. It sounds so small and so horribly prosaic. All the dictionaries say that it means either the outfit of a common soldier or else a diminutive kind of fiddle. Christopher, I really beg your pardon. I know how much loftier you are, of course, but I cannot get over the habit, Kit. Well, well, then, my darling, I hope you are not at all above being my darling, Kit. Mother, you may call me what you like. It can make no difference in my destinies. Christopher, you make my blood run cold. My darling, I implore you not to sigh so. Your dear father pays my allowance on Monday. I know what has long been the aspiration of your heart. Kit, you shall have a live badger of your own. I hate the very name of rats and badgers. Everything is so low and nasty. How can you look at that noble sunset and be full of badgers? Mother, it grieves me to leave you alone, but how can I help it when you go on so? I shall go for a walk on the Botley Road. Take your pipe, Kit, take your pipe. Whatever you do, Kit, take your pipe, screamed poor Mrs. Sharp as she stuck his hat on, as if it were never to come off again. Oh, Kit, there are such deep black holes. I will fill your pipe for you, if you will only smoke. Mother, you never know how to do it, and once more, my name is Christopher. The young man threw a light cloak on his shoulder and set his eyebrows sternly, and his countenance looked very picturesque in the glow of his death's head meerschaum. It occurred to his mother that she had never seen anything more noble. As soon as she heard him bang the door, Mrs. Sharp ran back to the window, when she could watch all cross Duck Lane, and she saw him striding along towards the quickest outlet to the country. How wonderful it is, she said to herself with tears already. Only the other day he was quite a little boy, and whipped a top, and cried if a pin ran into him. And now he is far beyond all dispute the finest young man in Oxford. He has the highest contempt for all vulgar sports, and he bolts the door of his bedroom. His father calls him thick and soft. Ah, he cannot understand his qualities. There is the deepest and purest wellspring of unintelligible poetry in Kit. His great mind is perturbed, and has hurried him to commune with the evening star. 
thank goodness that he has got his pipe. Before Mrs. Sharp had turned one page of her truly voluminous thoughts about her son, a sharp click awoke the front door lock, and a steady and well-jointed step made creaks in the old oak staircase. Mrs. Sharp drew back from her meditative vigil and trimmed her little curls aright. Miranda, I have some work to do tonight, said Mr. Sharp in his quiet, even voice, and I thought it better to come up and tell you so that you need not expect me again. Just have the fire in the office lighted. I can work better there than I can upstairs, and I find the evening damp, although the long, cold winter is gone at last. If I should ring about ten o'clock, it will be for a cup of coffee. If I do not ring then, send everybody to bed, and do not expect me until you see me. Certainly, Luke, I quite understand, answered Mrs. Sharp, having been for years accustomed to such arrangements. But, my dear, before you begin, can you spare me five minutes for a little conversation? Of course I can, Miranda. I am always at your service. Mrs. Sharp thought to herself that this was a slight exaggeration. Still, on the whole, she had little to complain of. Mr. Sharp always remembered the time when he cast sad, distant eyes at her. Miranda Piper, more enchanting than a will-case, more highly cherished than the deed-box of an earl. Nothing but impudence had enabled him to marry her, thereby his impudence was exhausted in that one direction, and he ever remained polite to her. Then, Luke, will you just take your favorite chair and answer me only one question? As she said these words, Mrs. Sharp took care to set the chair so that she could get the last gleam of sunset on her dear Lord's face. Her husband thoroughly understood all this and accepted the situation. Now, do tell me, Luke, you notice everything, though you do not always speak of it. Have you observed how very strangely Kit has been going on for some time now? And have you any idea of the reason? And do you think that we ought to allow it, my dear? Yes, Mrs. Sharp, I have observed it. You need not be at all uneasy about it. I am observing him very closely. When I disapprove, I shall stop it at once. But surely, my dear, surely I, his mother, am not to be kept in the dark about it. I know that you always take your own course, and your course is quite sure to be the right one. But surely, my dear, when something important is evidently going on about my own child, you would never have the heart to keep it from me. I could not endure it. Indeed, I could not. I should fret myself away to skin and bone. It would take a long time to do that, my dear, replied Mr. Sharp as he looked with satisfaction at her fine, plump figure. It pleased him to hear, as he often did, that there was not in Oxford a finer couple of middle-aged people than Mr. and Mrs. Sharp. However, I should be exceedingly grieved ever to initiate such a process. But first, before I tell you anything at all, I will ask you to promise two things most clearly. My dear, I would promise fifty things rather than put up with this cruel anxiety. Yes, I dare say, but I do not want rash promises, Miranda. You must pledge yourself to two things, and keep your pledges. I will do so in a moment, with the greatest pleasure. You would never ask anything wrong, I am sure. Only do not keep me waiting so. In the first place, then, you must promise me whether my plan turns out well or ill on no account to blame me for it, but to give me the credit of having acted for the best throughout. Nothing can be easier than to promise that, my dear. 
you always do act for the best, and what is more, the best always comes of it. Very well, you promise that. Also, you must pledge yourself to conceal from everyone, and most of all from Christopher, anything I am about to tell you and to act under my directions. To be sure, my dear, to be sure I will. Nothing is more reasonable than that I should keep your secrets. I know you will try, Miranda, and I know that you have much self-command. Also, you will see the importance of acting as I direct you. All I fear is that when you see poor Kit moping or sighing or groaning, it may be almost beyond your power to refrain your motherly heart. Have no fear, Luke, have no fear whatever. When I know that it is for his true interest, as of course it will be, I shall be exceedingly sorry for him, but still he may go on as much as he pleases, and of course he has not behaved well at all in being so mysterious to his own mother. Luke Sharp looked at his wife, to ask whether any offshoot of this reproach was intended at all to come home to him. If he had discovered any sign of that, the wife of his bosom would have waited long without getting another word from him, for seldom as Mr. Sharp showed temper he held back, with the chain curb of expedience, as quick as a temper is ever threatened to bolt with any man's fair repute but now he received no irritation. His wife looked back at him kindly and sweetly, with moist, expressive eyes, and he saw that she still was in her duty. Miranda, he said, being touched by this, for he had a great deal of conscience. My darling, I will tell you something such as you never heard before. I have made a bold stroke, a very bold one, and I think that it must succeed. And justice is with me, as you will own after all the attempts to rob us. Perhaps you never heard a stranger's story, but still I'm sure you will agree with me that in every step I have taken I am most completely and perfectly justified. End of chapter 33